My name is Alan. If you are new with us, and what a pleasure it is to, to see your faces, to be with you in an actual building with real people and real coffee stains on the floor. It's just, it's the real thing. So, and uh, hello once again to those of you at home. So glad that you have uh, decided to, to team up with us and join us here today. We're so uh, thankful to be with you. Let me start by asking you a question. You at home, you're here in this room. Have you ever felt a, a, an urge inside you, this sense that you need to do something and you're not, even, you're not sure where that sense comes from? Have you ever kind of just felt this, this sense and maybe you can't even explain it? Maybe it's your body saying that you need to eat a certain food. You know, sometimes the body can say, you need more iron, you need more calcium, and I'm not sure why I want to eat this. I, on a regular basis, on a daily basis, I feel like my body is telling me, eat more ice cream. Anybody? Can anybody? Okay, good. Have you ever had an urge maybe to give someone a call? And it just, it's not really connected to anything. You just kind of had this sense that you needed to reach out to somebody. You needed to text somebody. You needed to contact somebody. And you, you found out later that your timing was incredible, that something was happening on the other side and you just had no idea. Have you ever been on a journey and you, you just felt like you weren't supposed to go on that certain path? You weren't supposed to, literally, you, you weren't supposed to take a left and go down that road. It just had a sense that you should go somewhere else. And maybe you have no idea, there was no explanation as to why that, that would have been a better choice. And you just kind of have this sense, have this urge. Have you ever had this urge inside you that you just kind of can't explain? If so, what if that urge is not just a physiological thing? What if it's not just your brain being engaged or your body sending, sending chemical signals to you? What if it's a spiritual thing? What if it really is the Lord speaking to you? Some of you here in the room and at home, you've, you have experienced the Lord speaking to you before. So you know what I'm talking about. But maybe you haven't. Maybe you've felt those urges in the past and you're not sure whether to connect that to the Holy Spirit or not. We're going to talk about what it means to respond to those urges inside us and how that fits in God's overall story. As we head into that, would you bow your heads with me once again? Father, we do want to hear from you. That's why we're here. That's why we gather. We, we don't just want to engage our brains and, and hear a few ideas, God. We want to encounter you. We want to hear from you. So, you want to speak to us and we want to hear from you. So God, would you allow nothing to get in the way of that happening here today? In the name of your son, we pray. Amen. We are uh, wrapping up a series called You Never Know. And what we're doing is we're looking at some of the great characters from the book of Acts in the New Testament. The book of Acts is essentially the story of the followers of Jesus after Jesus ascended into heaven. The New Testament begins with the four versions of the story of Jesus, the four gospels, and then the book of Acts, written by Luke as a summary of what happened 
with these leaders of the revolution. After Jesus ascended into heaven, there was this revolution of love that changed the world. And so the book of Acts is that story. And it's an incredible story. It's a dynamic and exciting story. 28 chapters of of page-turning stories. And we've been looking at some of those characters. And throughout that, throughout that journey, those 28 chapters, the, the reason the series is called You Never Know is that, is that a lot of dynamic things happen. You never know what's around the corner. You never know what God is going to do next. You never know how my experience is connecting with somebody else's experience. The character that we're looking at today is Peter. And if you sometime back, if you remember a TV show called Everybody Loves Raymond, I think a couple thousand years ago, if there were TV shows, there could have been one called Everybody Loves Peter. Because there's a lot to love about Peter. Peter's the kind of guy who speaks first and thinks second. Which, if you're one of those kind of people, that can be difficult. You can put your foot in your mouth. I know some people are like that. And sometimes you might say some things and, and all that. But it's really fun to observe, to be a part of, to watch, to, to listen to people who are like that. And that's the kind of guy that Peter is. He's the kind of guy who says, Jesus, you will not wash my feet. You will never wash my feet. And Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, then you have nothing to do with me. Oh, okay, then you have to wash my feet. You have to wash the rest of my body, Jesus. Peter's just kind of a go-for-it guy. He's a guy who says, Jesus, I will never abandon you. I will never walk away from you. I will never deny that I know you and love you and I'm committed to you. And then within hours after that, he denies Jesus once, twice, three times. Cock-a-doodle-doo. It's just, there's, Peter is just, he's the guy who speaks first and thinks later. There's a little book called Basic Christianity written by John Stott a number of years back. And one of the things he says in there is that perhaps the greatest evidence of the resurrection of Jesus is the transformation of Peter. Because here you have a guy who after this horrific night of Jesus' death, And he is denying his Lord three times. He is weeping. He is cowering. He is hiding. It's a a nightmare of an experience for him. It's that same person that after the resurrection of Jesus and the reality of of that story, this is really what's happening. And the coming of the Holy Spirit, as we talked about in Acts chapter two, a few weeks back, Peter now becomes the leader of this revolution. The transformation of Peter is an incredible thing. In fact, tradition has has it that at the end of his life, when he was being martyred for his faith, he believed in it so much, he knew that it was the truth so much, he was willing to die for it. Tradition Tradition says that he refused to be hung on a cross like Jesus because he was unworthy to die in the same way. So he asked if he could hang upside down on a cross. And it's referred to as Peter's cross, the upside down cross. Everybody loves Peter. I mean, there is a lot to love about this guy. The story we're looking at today is found in Acts chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there at home. Please get your Bible. Again, the New Testament begins with the four versions of the story of Jesus and then the book of Acts. And something very significant happens here in chapter 
10. Very significant in the overall story of humanity, a huge change happens here in chapter 10. And that, that, that huge change is centered around the fact that the story up until this point had been all about the Jewish people. The Old Testament was all about the Jewish people. The, the story of Jesus, Jesus was Jewish. All of the disciples were Jewish. It was a Jewish story. It, had, it, it was a Jewish story that, that had not yet gone to everybody. The plan is that it would go to everybody, but it had not yet done that. It had not yet expanded. Do, do, do you know the people who are referred to as non-Jewish in the Bible, they're called what? Gentiles. There are Jewish people and Gentiles. Gentile doesn't refer to a specific nation or a specific race. It just means people who are not Jewish. And so this story had not penetrated the, the Gentiles yet. There were some Gentiles who were part of the story, some Gentiles who had an encounter with Jesus, some Gentiles who perhaps stumbled into a synagogue and learned about God and, and, you know, made, and taught their family and became a part of it, but the Gentiles had not yet been targeted. They weren't fully invited into this story. And it all happens, it all changes here in Acts chapter 10. And this Gentile who becomes the first targeted Gentile is a man named Cornelius. Cornelius is a Roman soldier. He is a, uh, I think it's fascinating that the story of Jesus first penetrates the Jewish people through the disciples, through young, educated nobodies who were fishermen. And Jesus called them. But with the Gentiles, it begins with a Roman soldier, a, a wealthy, powerful, influential man named Cornelius, who was, who was really the enemy. He was a Roman soldier in Roman-occupied Israel. It would be like 70-some years ago in France, under occupation of the Germans, to, to then to be a French person in France during the Second World War and to invite a high-ranking German officer to come and worship with you and, and to, to come and be a part of your connection with God. This, he was the enemy, and that's who this story begins with. All right, let's jump into the story. Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, which is a high-ranking Roman officer, in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. If I could just pause there. Somehow, this Gentile became aware of the one true God. Somehow, he perhaps is one of those people who stumbled into a synagogue and, and he didn't know about Jesus, but he knew about God and he wanted to live his life in a way that was honoring to God. He was taking significant steps in that direction already. Verse three. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up 
as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to find, to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. So here we have, as I talked at the beginning, that you have this sense, this urge. He had a vision, this sense. He was supposed to do this. So he sends three of his guys out. He sends three men to go find this Peter guy. We see, I want to skip a few verses to jump to Peter's side of the story. Jump to verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey, the three guys that Cornelius sent out, and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. I can relate to that verse. Often on Thanksgiving, that's how I feel. The food is being prepared, and I feel, okay, I'm just something. Okay, I think this is a little bit different here. This is Paul falling into a trance. He, once again, is, is being attentive to the voice of God. There's something stirring up inside him. He saw heaven and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter kill and eat. Surely not, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. This is the same Peter who said, Lord, I will never let you wash my feet. I, will, I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. Peter is, is committed to the plan, to the rules. This is how it's done. He's the same guy here. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. One, two, three, cock-a-doodle-doo. It's the same Peter. And immediately, the sheet was taken back to heaven. This vision of Peter's is a significant part of the story. This this vision about the sheet coming down and different animals on that sheet is about food. That there have been many laws as a part of God's plan, a part of God's story, where God said, I want to put some boundaries around what you can eat and what you cannot eat. And with this sheet, Peter, going against thousands of years of Jewish history, Jewish story, Peter gets this vision from God, God saying, I'm gonna change this plan. You never know what's around the corner. The book of Acts is such a dynamic story. And Peter has this radical change to what Jewish people have been doing for thousands of years. Peter, kill and eat. Go ahead. Eat the cheeseburger. This, was, this, this, this vision was about food. It was clearly about food. And as we see in the overall story, it was about something more than food. It was about something way more important than food. It was really the overall message that God wanted to send through the whole story leading up to this moment. God was saying, this isn't just about food. It's about people. It's about Gentiles. It's about taking this story to everybody. What we have here in Acts chapter 10 is we have two parts of the story. And we see this 
A few other times in scripture where there are two different parts happening. In the book of Job, we have a story up in heaven between God and and Satan having an interaction and and in a story of Job and his friends. There are two different parts of the story and we as readers get to see the different parts. We have two different parts of the story. We have Cornelius, the Roman soldier, who is called by God through this vision to go get this guy named Peter. And then we have Peter who is called by God to think differently about what is clean and what is unclean differently than he and Jewish people have been thinking for thousands of years. There, is this, there, was, there, there are these two uh, parts of this story. And then what happens is the three men who were sent by Cornelius in this part of the story, three men sent by Cornelius, they find Peter and they knock on his door on the same day that he has this vision. And because Peter has this vision and realizes this is not just about food, these Gentiles have have called me to go to Caesarea to meet with Cornelius, this Gentile. He wouldn't have gone if he hadn't seen that that vision. But he said, I'm gonna follow the Lord with this. So he goes and he meets with Cornelius and his family and his friends. And he tells them about Jesus and they, And they choose to follow this Jesus and they experience the Holy Spirit in the same way that the Jewish people had experienced it at Pentecost in Acts chapter two. The Holy Spirit came on them and Peter watched it happen. He, 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 even going into the house of Cornelius was, was against Jewish law. It says here later on in this story, he wasn't even supposed to go in the house, but he had this vision. It's, it's, we can't call unclean what God has made, what God has made clean. So he walks in, tells them, they experience the Holy Holy Spirit. And Peter, with his mind blown, says, we gotta baptize these folks. These people who have not yet been invited to be part of this story. Here's the point I'm saying today. You never know how your story fits with the overall story. You never know how your story fits with what God is doing in someone else's life somewhere else. Cornelius was obedient to this vision that he had and he sent three people to go and find Peter. He had no idea really who Peter was or how Peter, the Jewish person, would respond to being invited into a Gentile's house. He had no idea. Peter was faithfully responding to the vision that he had. He had no idea the significance of this, of this journey that he was gonna take and what God was gonna do in Caesarea at Cornelius' house. He had no idea. If Cornelius had not sent the three men out in faithfulness, Acts chapter 10 wouldn't have happened. If, if Peter hadn't trusted that vision and followed those three men back to Cornelius, Acts chapter 10 wouldn't have happened. You never know how your story the urgings that you experience, the nudgings, the the promptings that you have, you never know how they are gonna fit in the overall story, how they are gonna bump into and interact with somebody else. Let me give you a a more current example. A few years back, a friend of mine named Dave was sitting at home on a weekend while his wife was leading a women's retreat about an hour away, about an hour outside of the city. And while Dave was there, he was actually praying for the women at this retreat. 
for his wife, and there was about 50 women who had gathered. And he had a sense from the Lord, an urging, that he was supposed to get up, go buy flowers, and take them to the women gathered at the retreat. And so he had to figure out something to do with the kids. He had to take care of the kids and get some help with that. And he got in his car and he went to a place and all he could find were daisies. And in order to get that many daisies, he got some yellow and some white daisies. And he just thought, that's what I feel prompted to do. So he did it. That's his part of the story. The other part of the story was my wife who was attending this retreat. She was at the retreat. And as a part of this weekend experience, she was deeply moved by by God wanting to restore her. Deeply moved by God wanting to heal her from, from parts of her story, from parts of her past. And when and I, I just so you know, I got permission from my wife to share this, this story. When she was at the retreat and Dave walked in with the flowers and said, hey, I just feel prompting to give all you women these flowers. They were, at a, they were sitting down in rows at this gathering. and She saw that there were yellow roses and white roses. And instantly she thought, Lord, please let me have a white rose, a white uh, daisy. Please let me have a white daisy. Because her journey for that whole weekend was 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 seeking the Lord's purity, and white means purity. And so she, she desperately wanted the Lord to speak that to her and to give her that, that as part of the experience. And so she felt prompted, Lord, Lord, give me a white daisy. Give me a white daisy. And the flowers were being passed down the row, and my wife was on the very end of her row, and so the daisies were being passed. And so she didn't have an option when the last daisy was handed to her. And it was yellow. And she got the yellow daisy, and she said, of course, I'm desiring and hoping purity, but this is who I really am. This is who I truly am. And it was so hard for her, just a, just a color of a daisy. And within moments of that, there was a woman behind her who tapped her on the shoulder and said, excuse me, I, I'm sorry to bother you, but I love yellow daisies. Can we trade flowers? And my wife, her eyes, you know sometimes when your eyes just instantly fill up, she just instantly felt the presence of the Lord and, and that God was speaking to her in a beautiful way. And she took the white daisy and she felt like the Lord was beautifully speaking to her. I see you. I notice you. I know what has happened. I know your desire for purity and that's what I want to give to you. You are a white daisy, pure as snow. It was this unforgettable, beautiful moment that my wife had that she will never forget. You know, we talk here about make a memory, make a friend, make a difference. This is what we mean by make a memory. There are moments that we can have with God that we will remember for the rest of our lives And this is one of those moments. If Dave hadn't been sensitive to that urging to buy these flowers, and and it was a tremendous inconvenience for him to do what he did. If he hadn't done that, this story wouldn't have happened. 
If my wife hadn't been obedient, obedient some weeks before that to say, I'm gonna commit the time to do this retreat and figure out what to do with the kids and go and focus on this, this weekend retreat. If my wife hadn't been obedient to that, she wouldn't have gotten that beautiful, unforgettable message from the Lord. You never know how your story fits with the overall story and how God is gonna use your story in the lives of other people. Before we wrap up, I wanna revisit something that I read from verse 15 in in Acts chapter 10. It is a, a phrase from God that to me just jumps off the page. It is so central to this story. Second half of verse 15, God says, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. He's talking about food. And he's talking about something much more important than food. Sometimes when I am, let me, let me tell you why this, this phrase jumps off the page for me. Sometimes when I am focusing on my part of the story, which is all, I, all we typically think about is, what's going on in my life and decisions I need to make and all. It's our part of the story. Sometimes when I'm focusing on my my part of the story, I tend to evaluate other people's parts of the story and evaluate some things that I don't think are all that clean. And what I've been reminded of recently is that it is not my job ever to to judge the motives of other people. As as I see their lives and how their lives interact with mine, it's not my my job to judge their motives, to guess and evaluate what's going on in their hearts, what's going on in their lives. That's not my job. I see things and I, I don't like things, what has been said to me or interacted with me or whatever, and so I evaluate their motives, their hearts, and it's not right It's not fair. I have access to my part of the story. I don't know the overall story. I don't know what God is doing in his or her life. That's not my job. Who am I to call something unclean that God is working on, that God is making clean? My role, my job is to to think about and be aware of my motives, what's going on in my heart, what's going on in my part of the story. That's all I have access to. You never know how God is going to use your story as part of the overall story. You know, Dave, he had no idea when he brought those flowers. He had no idea how significant that moment was for my wife or perhaps for other women at that retreat. He had no idea. He could have driven home after that and thought, what was I doing? What was I thinking? That was so weird. It was so awkward. I interrupted them. I'm going to be in so much trouble from my wife when she comes home. And I could have just stayed home and watched three more episodes of West Wing. What was I thinking? But when the Holy Spirit says move, you got to move. When the Spirit of God says you got to call. You got to text. You got to reach out. You got to take a different path. You got to buy flowers. 
we got to move because we don't know how significant our part is in the overall story and how that can have a major impact on somebody else's life. You never know how your urgings, your nudgings will, be, will fit into the overall story. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, I believe that here in this room and for those watching here today, there are many nudgings, many urges that you are communicating to us right now, that you have been communicating to us to do this, to call this person, to take a step forward, etc. Father, I pray that we would be able to turn up the volume of your Holy Spirit not by our own power, not by our own strength, but by our willingness that we would be able to, to listen and be more attentive in the noise of life, all the different sounds and noises that we are experiencing, all the busyness of life, in the midst of that, that the, the volume of your Holy Spirit would be so loud right now that we would hear that nudging, that inspiration, that calling because you're inviting us to play a role in your, in your story. Would you help us to, to hear it and give us the courage to act on it? We pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.